Podcasts on WLRN are funded in part by Make-A-Wish Southern Florida, whose own podcast, World of Wishes, features inspiring, uplifting, and memorable stories from wish kids, their families, medical professionals, and more. You can listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the Sunshine Economy, the brothers now heading up one of the most visible real estate developers in South Florida, Related Group. George Perez built the company into one of the leading condominium and apartment developers in the region, reshaping the South Florida skyline, especially along the waterfront. Now his two oldest sons have taken over the day-to-day running of the company. So what do they say about the condo market during COVID? It's pretty amazing, you know. During COVID, all of a sudden everything really just changed. I'm Tom Hudson. Housing costs continue rising and affordability is increasingly difficult in the hot market. It's very hard to privately do affordable housing just because of land costs and even now construction costs. The Perez Brothers running real estate developer Related Group on today's Sunshine Economy. Welcome to the Sunshine Economy. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening to WLRN. One of the most visible real estate development companies that has reshaped the waterfront skyline in South Florida is not interested in more than an acre of beachside property on the Atlantic Ocean. The site is where the Champlain Towers South condominium building stood until early on June 24th. It collapsed, killing 98 people. The cause of the structural failure remains under investigation. New regulations are being discussed and lawsuits have been filed. It was one of the deadliest building failures in American history. Meantime, the plot of land that has been cleared of debris and the property at 8777 Collins Avenue is officially for sale. Even before it hit the market, $120 million was offered by a private unnamed bidder. A judge overseeing dozens of lawsuits has been urging the sale of the property to help pay victims of the catastrophe. A public live auction is expected to be held sometime early next year. One longtime South Florida real estate developer that will not make an offer is Related Group. The company founded by George Perez is known for waterfront high-rise luxury condos. Perez's two oldest sons, John Paul and Nicholas, now run the daily operations of the company and they say they are not interested in the Surfside site. We were able to go and bid on that site, and we're not going to bid on the Surfside site. This is John Paul Perez. He goes by JP. He is president of Related Group. I think it's just a tragic site that that we don't want to have anything to do unless all the proceeds were going to go to the families. A real estate broker will be conducting the auction and is doing the work for free. A final offer is expected to be approved by the judge overseeing the lawsuits and a court-appointed receiver. Perez says they were asked to make an offer, but decided against it. We um, internally made a decision. We we just didn't want to be a part of that unless there was uh, a way that basically we would do it almost for free so that, you know, the, the proceeds and the profits would go to the people and families that were affected. It was a decision supported by his brother Nick, a vice president at Related, and their father, Related founder, chairman, and CEO, George Perez. We have so many projects. Um, so if, you know, if we had 
one deal going on and that was a potential opportunity and could make a lot of money, then maybe we would consider it. But I think, you know, we're there, there's just too much hair. And I, I don't know if I would ever feel good about capitalizing on such a horrible incident. Right. So I think it was a very quick internal decision by my brother and, and my father and, and, um, we just passed. The Surfside tragedy is one of the forces in play in South Florida's real estate market. Several months after the collapse and as the COVID-19 pandemic continues, the housing market remains red hot. We spoke about the impact of Surfside and the virus on housing with the Perez brothers at their company's new headquarters in Coconut Grove. It's coming up on one year since J.P. Perez was named president of the company, making a formal transition of some leadership from his father. George Perez remains CEO and chairman of the company. Since 1979, the firm has built tens of thousands of condominiums and apartments, including high-rise, waterfront luxury condos, to new affordable housing apartments. It has made George Perez a billionaire and a philanthropist. His name appears on an art museum, a university think tank, and he donated the money from selling his Coconut Grove home to the Miami Foundation. We spoke about the brothers' vision of Related in South Florida as they become more involved in strategic decisions, the community impact of real estate development, and of course the strength of the South Florida housing market. But we started with Surfside. The sudden and deadly collapse of a beachside building has not dampened their interest in waterfront condominiums and apartments. However, it did spark their own inspections of their buildings. We began with J.P. Perez. Look, it's a very tragic incident that happened, right? You can't forget that. But speaking from Related's point of view, you know, we've always gone over the top with additional peer reviews in all different trades, right? Structural, mechanical, structural being the most important, making sure the glass systems are in place even above and beyond the code. Um, so from our point of view, we've always continued and always made it a point that we want to deliver product that's going to last hundreds of years. So what we've seen is, um, you know, there, there is probably more flight to newer product. Um, that's basically what we do. And even in our existing buildings that are at the affordable housing, 20 years old, 30 years old, we actually went and commissioned our own additional inspection reports just to make sure to triple check that the buildings that we do maintain and own are in compliance and there are no issues. So, you know, we, we feel like we've always been, um, trying to be ahead of the curve and to always do more than what's required. What was that process like, that self-evaluation that you initiated after the Surfside tragedy? Yeah, we hired structural engineers, went to every single project. They, they're in the process of producing those reports and finalizing them. And if there's any deficiencies, we're, we're going to fix them. You know, we stand behind our product, right? Related is known for quality and that's our reputation. How are you going to share those with residents and owners? Well, we haven't necessarily shared them. If, if, there, if there's an issue, you know, we're very, we're an open book shop, right? We don't, we don't hide anything, you know, knock on wood. Luckily, there's been really no issues at all other than minor basically touch up and paint. You know, I just, I think it stands to the fact that we do continue to build quality and have never, have never shied away or value engineered something just to save a few dollars here and there. We're a company that's been around 40 years and hope to be around another 40, 50. And, you know, that would that could seriously hurt your reputation. And that's what business is based off of, reputation. Nick, take us inside those first few days after Surfside or first few weeks and kind of the reflection that JP talks about as the decision was made to look at related buildings. 
I don't think we were ever worried about our processes in designing a building, structural integrity, permitting. So I think the initial first days was probably everyone's reaction of, whoa, what happened, right? And I don't think they've gotten to the bottom of actually what happened. You know, the building was built over 50 years ago. And there's been many stories of what could be the cause. But I think it was an internal reflection of safety for our clientele and our buyers and our stakeholders. So it was immediate. Let's look at what we have. Let's get in front of this to ensure, triple check, that, that our buildings are up to the highest safety code possible. How have buyers responded to the Surfside collapse? What have you noticed in terms of the buying appetite? I think there's a flight to new. You know, I think the year was the year 2000 when, when the building code changed to have more stringent structural um, inspections and design. Um, so we've seen in our condominium products, especially closer to the water, um, that there has been a flight to newer product. Um, and we're seeing that all across the board. What are you hearing from buyers in terms of questions around the role of associations and reserves? I know you're not involved in that, but just as a, as a builder and provider of the condominium product, that's come under certain questions regarding the Surfside collapse. Yeah, I think ultimately it's up to the management of the building and the and the association, right? So it's our job in the beginning to evaluate the mechanical and structural systems of the building and establish those reserves up front. But then it's up to the buyers and, and like I said, the association to really maintain their property because it is an ongoing maintenance. Just like a house, you have ongoing maintenance. If there's an issue, you have to fix it right away. And I think, uh, you know, the the sense of urgency now on that front is high. And so people are paying more attention to that. So I, I, you're, I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of more studies done and a lot of work going on on existing older existing product to make sure that the structural integrity is there. How have you and your brother reflected on the interest in coastal properties, particularly here with the Surfside Collapse? Has that caused you to rethink any interest as you think of the vision of this company? No, I think, you know, we're, we're always looking for opportunity, right? Coastal, non-coastal, urban, suburban, all throughout our divisions where, you know, we do everything from one story to 70 stories, right? Obviously, coastal properties are interesting properties to us because they provide an opportunity to work with, you know, the best designers, best architects, and it really allows your creative juice to, uh, to, to kick in because you can afford to build something that pushes the limits. When we're building in, on coastal properties, you know, we're raising the, the first habitable floor. You know, that's already X amount of square or feet above the, um, above, uh, sea level. So we're doing things to build for the future. That's really what we do in order to continue to f- pursue those types of opportunities. As you look and think about the ripple effect of Surfside in the real estate development, condominium development business, how do you think this is going to be thought about in a number of years? Look, I mean, I think a lot of people have short-term memories. Um you know, we're, we're still actively looking at older buildings because I think it has brought awareness to owners of buildings that are 30, 40 years old, where now the values of properties on the beach, new product on the beach have risen significantly where 
they actually can capitalize on on what on the the real estate market and where it's gone to then move maybe to a newer product. Um, so I think it does create opportunities for older buildings, and just like any other developer, we're you know we're opportunistic developers and and are looking at multiple um, buildings along the coastline. Nick, when your brother talks about looking at older buildings, are those older buildings to be raised and replaced with new product? Yes. Typically, you find that the underlying land use of properties of the existing property, what's there and, and what you can build is, is not fully utilized or captured. The the unit prices that, that these current unit owners can get for their property it makes sense for them and it makes sense also from the developer coming in to buy them to put up a larger building um, and it's all market driven, right? And so the prices have gotten to a point where they are now where you're going to see a lot of these, I think, older buildings on the along the coast or along the waterway transacting more. One, because they don't feel safe. Two, they can get pretty good amount of money for their current unit um, and then move to a new building. That is Nick Perez, Vice President of Real Estate Developer Related Group, the company founded and led by his father, George Perez, and by his older brother, JP. You're listening to The Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Each Monday, we examine the stories and hear the voices of people shaping South Florida's economy. Be sure to listen for the BBC NewsHour on Tuesdays through Fridays at 9 a.m. to hear stories and voices from around the globe. Still to come this hour, the red-hot real estate market with little signs of cooling down. I feel like Miami is becoming more diversified, right? So as opposed to being hospitality, fun in the sun, the economy is now financial services firm, venture capital, tech firms coming out of San Francisco, areas like Wynwood, Coconut Grove, Miami Beach. And we don't see a slowdown in that. We're back on the Sunshine Economy here on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. As always, thanks for listening, and thanks for supporting public radio. It was a hot summer for the housing market in South Florida. Incredibly hot. The potent combination of low mortgage rates, a big stock market rally, pandemic practices and restrictions in place elsewhere, and the ever-present hype of Florida real estate all helped propel the housing market here, to new heights. July, for instance, was the best July ever for Miami-Dade County's home market. It continued a five-month streak of record sales. The number of deals in July surged 57% from a year ago. Condo sales more than doubled from last year. And with that demand comes higher prices, certainly. The average price of a single-family home is now over a half million dollars. For condominiums in Miami-Dade County, $340,000. Both have been rising each month, month over month, for almost a decade straight. And of course, it isn't just Miami. Broward County single-family homes average just shy of a half million dollars. Condos in Broward run $215,000 on average. Each is about the same in Palm Beach County, which has been particularly helped out by properties selling for at least $1 million. Prices in the Keys... Those have also shot higher, accelerating as the pandemic has worn on. Demand is high for a piece of sunshine in South Florida, and supply is low. This is the market for J.P. Perez and his brother Nick. They work at the real estate developer firm founded by their father, George Perez, the so-called condo king of South Florida because of his prolific development of condominiums over the decades. 
By the way, later on in this program, you'll hear what the brothers say about that title, Condo King, for their father. Nick is a vice president at the company. JP was named president almost a year ago. We spoke with them about the South Florida real estate market at the company's new headquarters in Coconut Grove. Let's talk about the market in general in Fuego, right? On fire, correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's um it's pretty amazing, you know, after during COVID, not even after COVID still here, um all of a sudden everything really just changed, right? I mean, going into COVID we had probably about $300, $400 million of existing product to sell where we were actually considering doing bulk sales uh, on the majority of it. And thankfully, we didn't. Just to clear it off the inventory? Just to clear it off the inventory. Yeah, it was it was a rem- last like 20%. So, you know, we didn't want to be stuck holding product for two, three years. We had really no idea. And luckily, we made the decision not to. And it took six months to sell out of all that product. And that's high end anywhere from over $1,000 a foot to $600 a foot. 600 to to $1,000 per square foot. Per square foot, for correct. these pieces. And the bulk sales would have cleared it off, but would have dropped that per square foot number down. Yeah, it was, I mean, we, I think we ended up selling out for like $400 million and we were going to bulk sale for half probably. Um, so it was, it was the right move. And, and even during that, we, we launched two projects by four now, Solomar in Pompano that my brother's been in charge of. And we're 100% sold out there. Uh, Ritz in Tampa, we've sold 40% in 60 days. Baccarat, which is in Brickell, you know, we're averaging over $1,000 a foot and have sold almost 40% now. And then we have another project in downtown Miami that we're 75% sold. And this is all within the last three months. Make sense of that. Um, make sense of that. So historically, South Florida condominiums were, were being bought by international buyers, South American, probably 90%. Uh, what we're seeing is it's more 50% mm. domestic and 50% international South American. And I think what's happened is, you know, businesses have decided to not necessarily relocate to South Florida, but open up another headquarters, open up another office. And it's not just a five-person office. You're talking about 10, 20, 40,000 square foot leases for 10, 15 years. And I think, you know, a lot of the employees and for sure the, the CEOs and executives have all been buying, you know, the expensive homes, expensive condos. And then it trickles down from them where their employees need housing. Um, so we've seen it not only in condos, we've also seen it in the rental market where in COVID we were down, you know, 10, 15% occupancy with two months concession. And now our average, you know, our portfolio average is about 98% leased and zero concessions and rent growth, but substantial rent growth. I think we've experienced over 10%. I feel like Miami is becoming more diversified, right? So as opposed to being hospitality, fun in the sun, the the economy is now financial services firm, venture capital, tech firms coming out of San Francisco, the West Coast coming to areas like Wynwood, Coconut Grove, Miami Beach. And we don't see a slowdown in that. I have lots of friends that have moved down and before they just came to visit and now they're, you know, they're coming down buying the house, buying the condo. I see that continuing to happen for a while. I mean, we've been saying it for 40 years. Why is Miami so underpriced and why doesn't, why is nobody seeing what, seeing what we're seeing here? And I think people have finally realized that 
have decided to make Miami more of a home and a permanent place. Nick, we've seen some booms and busts in that cycle. Uh, certainly this company, your family's company, has experienced some of those booms and busts directly. As you think through this particular boom and speak with the veterans, both in your family and in this company and elsewhere, how do they think through, how do you think through the sustainability or how this is similar or any different than previous booms we've seen for South Florida real estate? As long as interest rates stay artificially low, I think real estate's always going to rise, right? Asset values go up. But uh, like my brother alluded to, this is different than 2007, 2008. You have industry coming, right? We have a uh, 25,000 square foot hedge fund that's signed in this building that's opening up a second office. You have SoftBank that's in the market for 100,000 square feet. Apollo Global Management just signed a short-term lease while they find in the firm. Toma Bravo out of Chicago. These and are all, big venture these capital, are big venture private pri- equity private firms. Equity firms. Yeah. And so there's no more single-family homes because all the executives have bought them up. And so that trickles now to, to condos and or rentals. And so it starts with the CEOs and I think the C-suites. But then when their office is actually open in 8 to 12 months, when their offices are built out, then come the associates in the analyst level. So you're getting the job growth that's coming with the rent growth and the asset prices. And you're coming these jobs that are coming from New York and California, they automatically save 15% just on state and local taxes. You have that same income level, but higher after-tax income. And so they're able to afford that these rents increases that you're seeing in the market. So I think it's a... It's more of a holistic growth than just residential. How is this impacting at all planning for your firm in the next three to five years, for instance? We are, you know, obviously optimistic, but cautiously optimistic, right? We, we are fortunate enough to have a development pipeline of, I believe, over, over 12,000 units. Um, and we are able to pick our spots and, and, and know the markets where we're comfortable we don't have to be in a position to overpay for certain pieces of land based on a rent trajectory that's going like this. And so we choose our markets and we choose our opportunities wisely. But I think uh, Miami has a great, uh, you know, near near to medium term future as far as growth and opportunities. 12,000 units in the pipeline. How are those parsed out over the next several years? And how solid are those plans? How flexible are those plans based upon market realities? It's a real pipeline. The the units are either under construction, about to start, or under contract, the, the land. Um, so that whole pipeline will take about 18 months to get off the ground. A lot of the markets that we're in, you know, we're all the way, we're in Florida, we're in Georgia, the Carolinas, Texas, and Arizona. Those are mostly multifamily, um, mostly suburban, lower rise product more sort of attainable rents. Um, and as you've seen, the rents in these markets have actually risen. So I think that pipeline will, it's not contingent on sales, right? So those, that's probably about 4,500 of those units. Are for rental. Are for rental. So those will start over the next about 12 months. Uh, the rest of the pipeline is affordable housing. Another third of it's basically affordable housing, and that's anywhere from the lowest income to mixed-use workforce housing. We're also going to do some um, attainable condominiums, so affordable condominiums, home ownership. Um, and that's all in the process. We, we, we've tied up a lot of sites, the county, where we can do 1,600 units by Marlins Park, Liberty Square is 1,400, Tampa, we have another 2,000. 
Um, so there's always a need for affordable housing. So those projects, there's really not market driven. Um, the, really the only one that's market driven is the, is the condominiums. Um, but we've seen so far with what we've launched, the continued demand. Um, so we're continuing to get sales centers open and sell. And, and I think with, you know, hopefully the next couple of years continue to be the same. And we haven't even really seen the, the Latin American market come back yet. So, you know, if that comes back strong, like it has always done historically, it should increase the demand what we're seeing right now. You know, it's, they're busy days to get all these things going. We are the busiest we've been, I think, in 40 years with as far as the amount of units planned or under construction. Um, and that's all a reaction to the market and very excited for what the future holds because it's very hard to predict what's going to happen. But all we can say is look at the signs and look at what's really happening with offices coming down here. And, you know, we're hoping that we're in the first inning of that because, you know, we have long careers and we want to um, play a pivotal role in be helping Miami become the world-class city, uh, you know, and compare it to like New York. So we hope to be able to be a big part of that. That is John Paul Perez, JP. He's president of Related Group, one of the largest developers of condominiums in South Florida. We spoke with him and his brother, Nick, who's a vice president at the firm. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Please be sure to check out our podcast of this program and all of our past programs, including our interview with their father, George Perez, in October of 2018. Just search Sunshine Economy on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to leave a review and please hit subscribe so you don't miss a week. Still to come on this program, how a high-profile housing developer diagnoses and operates with the affordable housing market. It's very hard to privately do affordable housing just because of land costs and even now construction costs. I'm Tom Hudson. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks for listening. Miami consistently is one of the least affordable housing markets in the country. The high cost of housing along with the generally lower incomes in the region drive that deficit between what someone can comfortably afford and what buying or renting a home actually costs. Even before the pandemic helped ignite an already strong housing market, housing affordability was a crisis. A study in 2019 found that almost half of all households in Miami-Dade County were considered cost-burdened. That means hundreds of thousands of people paying more than 30% of their income on housing. Half of those struggling to pay rent are considered severely cost-burdened, spending at least half of their pay on rent. That study came from the Perez Metropolitan Center at FIU. The think tank is named after real estate developer George Perez, who founded and is chairman of Related Group. He donated $1 million to the center two years ago. Perez got his real estate career started in the late 1970s with affordable housing. He went on to build thousands of condominiums and apartments. Today, the company has over 2,000 affordable and mixed-use apartments under development or under construction now, and that includes the third phase of the Liberty Square development in Liberty City. That's a $300 million project, adding more than 1,000 affordable and workforce apartments to the market. Federal and county dollars pay for most of the construction. Related collects several million dollars in fees and foregoes several million dollars more that stay with the county. 
We spoke about affordable housing and housing affordability in general in South Florida with the next generation of leadership at Developer Related Group. George Perez's two oldest sons, Vice President Nick and older brother J.P. J.P. Perez is the president of the company. J.P., how do you diagnose supply-demand, generally speaking, in terms of housing affordability here in South Florida? There will always be more demand than supply, right? Um, and, a, and a key indicator of that is that majority of people are spending almost 50% of their income on, on housing, which really the, the what should be the, the normal percentage is about 30%. The biggest issue with tackling that problem is land costs. So the ways that we've been able to tackle that issue is partnering with the county, working on their sites. Miami-Dade County. Miami-Dade County, the Tampa Housing Authority. We're looking in Jacksonville now. And with almost no land cost and becoming a partner with them, we're able to deliver product that the rents are attainable, right? And you have subsidies, you have tax credits, you have different types of grants and and funds from the state, from the federal government. And that's really the only way. It's, It's very hard to privately do affordable housing just because of land costs and even now construction costs, right? I mean, um, with everything that's happening with the supply chain and COVID sort of disrupted a lot of things, even though we're sort of seeing it normalize. The problem is that there's so much new projects being announced and continuing to be built that it's, it's the, it's hard to see if, to predict if the construction costs are going to come sort of back down. What's the business model for related in terms of that housing affordability effort, particularly take, for instance, Liberty Square in Miami-Dade County, um, uh, where it's a long-term lease and development deal that related struck with the county to build these new affordable housing units. What's that business model and is it sustainable? My dad, my father founded the company based on doing affordable housing, right? So that's always been in our DNA and will always be a big, one of the pillars of Related. Um, the business model and the way we look at affordable housing is we just don't look at taking existing old affordable housing and putting new affordable housing. Because if you replace housing with housing in 30 years from now, it's going to be the same thing that we're replacing, right? So in Liberty Square, we're taking nine city blocks doing 1,400 units mixed with two schools. We're going to do a grocer. We're going to do retail, commerce. So now it becomes a community um, where people can have opportunity to grow within that community and, and really, you know, sort of hope for the future that they have a way to progress in their life. So the business model is really working again with, with the counties and, and uh, the public partnerships to in order to create um, value not only for the county, but also for the residents, right? We want to provide the residents with a better way of life and economic opportunity to succeed in life. We always talk about it. We almost, we feel better when we go and tour a finished affordable housing project as opposed to like a high-end condo because you get to meet the residents and they, 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 they're almost crying telling you that they almost don't believe this new housing is for them. And they have the grocer there. They can send their kid to school. We try to implement programs there, bringing like big brothers, big sisters. So they have an outpost there. So that's really the model. On, on You mentioned the history of related with affordable housing uh, with your father. How do you see the affordable housing component of the business within the broader portfolio 
of the company under your leadership changing? I don't think it's changed. I mean, I think, look, we're, it was founded on affordable housing. We've never forgot about it. We've now learned through the hard way in 2007, 2008, where you can't just focus on one type of business, right? Because there's cycles. And if that business isn't doing well, then, well, what do you do with the company, right? So we really came out of that and said, we need to diversify. The affordable housing has its own has its own president. The multifamily development has its own division, president for that. And then we have Condo International. So all of those together are really what make related. Well, you can differentiate the look of the product between the divisions. But when you walk into whether it's affordable housing or condos or multifamily, you still see art. You still see great landscaping, as nice of architecture as we can afford for the different uses. But but we put in as much attention to detail, whether it's affordable or it's high-end condo. Nick, your brother mentioned land costs being particularly onerous when it comes to affordable housing developments. How does South Florida encourage more housing affordability given the landlocked nature of our slice of the region? <laughs> uh, I think it's um, true private-public partnerships, like we said, with our with the city and with, uh, with Miami-Dade County, um, willing to not sacrifice value of the land, but contribute the land to a venture that does provide the ability for developers like ourselves to to provide these housing. It, it really is the only way, the way land costs are, because there's only so much land and you don't want to ex- keep extending the development boundaries, right? The way for sustainability is up, not out. And so partnerships like that and are, are really the only way that you're able to produce these amount of units that, that the community so much needs. Yeah. Oh, and, you need, and you also, you need tax abatements, right? Real estate tax abatements. You need subsidies. You need permit fees to be waived. You need impact fees to be waived. So anything the county or the city can do to reduce the cost of development helps. And to those critics of waiving those kinds of subsidies in terms of working with a private enterprise like Related, what would you say to them? I mean, look, we're not making a fortune doing affordable housing. It's almost you do it because of the good of your heart, right? I mean, if we said we're only in the business to make a ton of money, we would never do affordable housing, right? We basically make fees. It's a fee business, right? I mean, all everything is passed through basically to the end user, which is the tenants that really need it more than related. So it's it's a business that produces some income, but it's not like... It's a business where we're there trying to like inch out every last profit. It's it's really just a fee business so that really the beneficiary of the affordable housing is what it should be, is the end user. You mentioned building up as opposed to out. There's a Miami-Dade commissioner, Oliver Gilbert, who's talked about having the county take over zoning uh, around transit systems. You're smiling and nodding. But the commissioner would like the county to take over some of the zoning around these transit areas in order to encourage higher density building along train lines and other popular transit areas. And as part of that, require certain affordable housing um, units. Is this a kind of effort that you could see yourself or related get behind? Is this are you in the conversation here? Yes, yeah, so we're, it's RTZ zoning. Correct. RTZ rapid transit. Rapid zoning. transit zoning, which allow it takes the zoning out of the city and into the county's hands. And in those developments, twelve percent has to be workforce. Which there's, I have, I don't think anybody really has any issue with that because you have increased density, um, and there's other zoning requirements that 
that make it more feasible and economical for a developer to build. So, you know, we're for it. We're, we've done RTC zoning now in Brickle and other areas and looking at additional sites. Um, so we're, we have, we're obviously for it and we think it's, it's good and don't mind the fact that by doing that, 12% has to be allocated to workforce housing. I think that's the right thing to do. There's a concern by a number of the smaller municipalities that have talked about the control, command and control about local zoning issues being no longer at the village or town hall, but rather being at government center for the county. There's issues in certain locations, right? Because in certain locations, you have maybe it's single family homes, where now if it comes into the county zoning, it allows for a much denser use. So I think then you have a, a disagreement between city and county. But in, in other areas, it's very clear where the, the the neighboring use actually pairs well with what the county wants to do. So there's less of a issue between the two. That's J.P. Perez, president of real estate developer Related Group. You're listening to The Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Still to come this hour, the vision of the next generation of leaders at the Related Group, one of the most visible and prolific real estate developers in the region. We're still trying to tie up marquee sites and areas that um, have been developed, but that we can still create iconic projects. This is the Sunshine Economy. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening to WLRN and supporting public radio. Today, we're featuring a conversation with JP and Nick Perez. They're brothers who are becoming the public faces of the company their father started and remains CEO of. Over four decades, George Perez built the real estate development firm into an incredibly successful company, earning him billions of dollars, etching its high-rise condo and apartment buildings across the South Florida skyline, building affordable housing complexes, and expanding well beyond Miami. The firm has over 10,000 condo and apartments currently under development or under construction now across the region and in Phoenix and Atlanta. By next year, projects in Georgia, Tennessee, and Texas, and other states may account for more than half of the firm's developments. Nick Perez is a vice president with the company. His older brother, JP, is the company's president. We spoke with them at the company's headquarters in Coconut Grove. Your father is known as the Condo King. I don't know if he likes that name or not. Does he? I don't think he minds it. Yeah, right. It's good to be king, I suppose. good to be king. Anything with king is probably not a bad name. He was one of those power certainly behind developing South Florida in the last generation and really developing it into a global destination. What's your vision of this region as the two of you take over the day-to-day responsibilities of this real estate development corporation? I think he almost kick-started like what Miami could be and the potential for growth, right? If you look at examples of how he was in the south of Fifth neighborhood in Miami Beach, where there were no high rises. It was elderly people, retirees. And, you know, he came in and did Portofino and then six or seven other buildings. And now it's south of Fifth, which is one of the nicest areas in Miami to live. Um, he did that also in downtown Miami and sort of Brickle, too, in, in certain ways. And he's always Sunny Isles. He's always been good at seeing where the next neighborhood is that is undervalued and has a lot of potential. I think it was easier to do it back then because Miami wasn't so developed, but it's obviously very hard. And there's only one person that did it, which was him. So 
Nikki and I are always looking for those new areas, but even like in Wynwood, right? We, we went into Wynwood where there was really no vertical development. And now we have six projects under construction or completed. And that has really changed the neighborhood and kickstarted other developers now to come in, national developers to come in and build office, hotel, bring in different commercial uses, resident and retail uses. So we're looking for areas like that, but also even in the areas that are developed, right? In Brickell, you know, we have the Baccarat. We have another site that is on the water that is going to be the most high-end building that's that will be launched and built in Brickell. We're still trying to tie up marquee sites and areas that um, have been developed, but that we can still create iconic projects, right? And we've, in Hillsboro on the water, we're buying a site in Avon Bell Harbor on the beach. So that'll be extremely high-end, $3,000 plus a foot building. Pompano was a, you know, a sleepy market. Nikki is, you know, he started a job there during COVID and 100% sold. And we're buying another site now that Nikki found that was two properties down. That'll be Pompano phase two. So what we try to do is when we go into a market, we assume that we're going to create value. So why let other developers come in there and capitalize on that? So we try to buy multiple sites when we know, when we are going into a certain market or neighborhood. Nick, share your vision of the role this company you expect to play under your leadership and your brother's leadership. So I think I'll always report to John Paul, but uh, I have my whole life, so it's uh, it's pretty fun and uh, and familiar. Um, so we we have a great relationship. So I think we thrive, and our company is built on 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 deals, right? So you know we're we're very excited to to tie up new deals and close and start building, but automatically in our head is well, where's the next one? And so, you know, I think our role and our responsibility here is to do smart growth um, and not overextend ourselves. Um, you know, we have a pretty good eye and, and the, the senior leadership here for over 40 years um, is very good at as a sounding board, as uh, analyzing new opportunities. So I think, uh, you know, smart growth and, and finding new opportunities and in neighborhoods that, that haven't been discovered before, like my brother has in Wynwood that, that I'm kind of leading in our Pompano charge, um, as well as finding, you know, marquee sites in developed urban areas. For example, this, this office building that we're sitting in, right? Coconut Grove hadn't had a new class A office building similar to his COVID story. We were worried about leasing up, you know, 70,000 square feet. Five months later, we're hundred percent leased, um, mix of private equity, financial firms, some nonprofits. So, you know, I think it's our role as as leaders of this company to always find those opportunities to 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 keep this company going. What do you think the move, the headquarters move from downtown on the mouth of the river in the bay to the Grove represents? Oh, convenience for me. I live uh, ten minutes. Convenience for him, and really more importantly, convenience for my father. He lives uh, around the corner. Coconut Grove has gone through this almost new renaissance, right? Where it's really becoming this really peri-urban destination, um, which I think some of these executives that have come found attractive is you're on the perimeter of the urban core, right next to Brickell. So you can be five minutes from your house. You're located right next to the best schools. And then if you need to go into the downtown financial district, you're, you're five, 10 minute drive. So this was um, a very successful project for us and we're always looking to do more, but 
this, I think this move is, is showing people that you don't need to be totally in a downtown or a brickle area to, to have your headquarters or to, to have an office space. And I think you're seeing that success in Coral Gables with the plaza development, with public transportation becoming better, with the bus service that comes around here and the metro rail that people are using more. I, I think that the need to be just in that dense location is not a necessity, but, but close to it. Does it also at all represent or into the consideration the changing of the governance of the company as the two of you have taken over the day-to-day operations of the firm in this new location as opposed to moving into what had been headquarters during your father's tenure? It could be a good way to look at it, right? It's a new sort of a new generation, new building where we want to be for the next 40 years and and, you know, we were outgrowing our space in downtown. J.P. Perez is the president of Related Group, along with his brother Nick, a vice president. Still to come, what the brothers say today about climate change and building out South Florida and what their father, George Perez, has said in the past. Our greatest asset and our greatest attraction to South Florida is the water. Yeah. Does that sound like him? It is, yeah. Right? I mean, the water's the water. Tom Hudson, this is the Sunshine Economy. Real estate has long been one of the legs making up the three-legged stool that has been Florida's economy. It drove the boom a century ago, helping sow the seeds of the Great Depression. The housing boom a half generation ago was bigger here in South Florida, and so was the subsequent bust. Today's surging real estate market has more than excess to contend with. It also has to deal with higher seas, wetter seasons, and stronger storms climate change. It's one of the developing challenges for real estate developer Related Group, the firm founded by billionaire George Perez. He has acknowledged the threat, but he also told us it wasn't dampening his appetite for waterfront property. That was a few years ago. So we asked the next generation of Perez's to run the company about the changing climate and real estate. JP is the president of the firm. His brother Nick is a vice president. What role does the industry play in thinking about climate change and the risks that climate change poses to South Florida? Uh, it's a huge role, right? Um, it's not a, a topic that can be tackled completely by the private sector, and it's not a, ta- a topic that can, can be completely tackled by the public sector. It has to be a joint effort. Um, and that is strategizing on how to build smarter uh, and more sustainable, right? So, you know, building codes... And requirements, I know at least in Miami and other municipalities, you have to have a minimum standard of green building or lead a certain threshold of certified. And we're looking at different ways of sustainable uh, construction. So your use of, of electricity and power is less. And so there are new technologies that are being formed every day that we're trying to just get a pulse on. But we try to take the latest and incorporate those into our building. One thing when I said is build up, not out, is sustainability from if you don't want to use your your car right you get less cars on the road you live in a more dense urban population where cars aren't necessarily needed and you can use public transportation that that in itself gets rid of emitting enormous amounts of co2 in the in the environment so 
Real estate plays a big role. I think there needs to be more open dialogue on how to build more resilient, especially with our sea level rise. Um, but like I said, we, we tackle that when we design our buildings, raising the first level of habitable floor up to above the floodplain to anticipate um, what's going on. But it's a topic that I don't think anyone has an answer, but there's an, I think there's an open dialogue that has started between the public and private sector that I think was, will continue for the better. I just share with you a couple of things that uh, your father told me in an interview we did three years ago in Edgewater. Over the long run and in the short run, sea level rise is a big problem. Global warming is a big problem. And then he also said, But if I have great beachfront locations, I will definitely still build on the beachfront because our greatest asset and our greatest attraction to South Florida is the water. Yeah. Does that sound like him? It is, yeah. Right? I mean, the water is the water. You know, you can't come to Miami and not... You know, that's why the water views are always the highest premium units, right? That's people come here to be able to do that on the weekends and see the water when they come back to their condo after working, or even in their office, to be able to have a window office that shows the water. I mean, we, we can't hide what we have, right? That's Miami's, that's one of our selling points. That's J.P. Perez, president of Related Group, with his brother Nick, who is a vice president. You can hear that interview we did with their father, George Perez, in 2018 by searching Sunshine Economy on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, leave a review and hit subscribe. Thanks. Joe Johnson is our technical director. Polly Landis is our booking producer. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. WLRN Public Media. Podcasts on WLRN are funded in part by Make-A-Wish Southern Florida, whose own podcast, World of Wishes, features inspiring, uplifting, and memorable stories from wish kids, their families, medical professionals, and more. You can listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.